0: folks, and welcome to another edition of Variable D Postulate Ensemble Projects. This is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Drawsuff, bringing you this week's show, as always. Today, we have a really fascinating interview with one of Chicago area's extremely experienced professional musicians and leading music contractors, Jack Kramer. Before we get to the show, let me do a couple of quick shout-outs, as I always do. First of all, I play Wedge trumpet mouthpieces designed and manufactured by Dave Harrison of Gabriola Island up there in British Columbia. I've been using Wedges for several years now, and I just love them. Next, I play Gets and trumpets made in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and I love them all. At this point, I have kind of a trumpet geeky promo to do here, so hang in there with me. During this difficult time, we have to make many adjustments, particularly if we play trumpet and live in an apartment. We have to use practice music and any other means that we can think of to stay in shape when it is difficult to play out at all. Well, I stumbled across something my friend, Larry Regalano uh, came up with, a method that he calls compression training system. I've been doing something related to it on my own but Larry's system really homes in on what I wanted to do in a much more controlled way of using air pressure in the mouth for playing as opposed to making a huge physical effort using the back and abs. Larry demonstrated his method for me with cracked ribs and was able to play a strong solid double high C with no major physical effort. In fact, he was even able to circle breathe on a double high C. I was most impressed. I've incorporated his system into my own practice and after a week, I've noticed significant improvement in my own project. I can't wait till I've been out for a while. Well, if you're a trumpeter, you should check it out. His website is, now write this down, www.trumpetlegacy.com That's www.trumpetlegacy.com If you adopt this system, you'll be glad you did. Today I'm speaking with Jack Kramer, a Chicago legend in the jobbing scene and one of the founding partners of the well-known contracting company Music Incorporated, which is known as one of the nation's busiest music providers. Jack has a great deal to discuss here. While he has somewhat retired from the jobbing scene, he is still busy making music on his own and has recorded a new CD of classical music. Performed on a very unusual instrument known as an Eevee, that's an electronic valve instrument. It's a MIDI driven instrument that plays like a trumpet and drives many different synthesizer sounds. I'll let him tell you about the instrument and project, but let's first hear him play on this wonderful instrument, the Eevee. Here is The Flight of the Bumblebee, performed by Jack Kramer on Eevee. We just heard um, uh some music from jack kramer's uh new e v project and um, uh, this is the flight of the bumblebee uh, Jack could uh, you know first of all let me say this we have Jack Kramer with us today how are you doing jack I'm doing great thank you Nick how are you doing I'm, I'm doing good I'm thank glad you. to be back in the saddle again yeah um, uh okay uh, like I say like I said we had uh, we heard a uh, flight of the bumblebee. Jack, first, uh, would you tell us a little bit about that piece of music? Yeah, actually, uh, very few people know
1: that it's from an opera that Rimsky-Korsakov wrote. Something about a prince who is magical and is caught in a cage by his enemies. Boy, I'm really being approximate. Here, but anyway, uh, and he turns himself into a bumblebee in order to escape the cage, huh. and, and so that piece appears and is from that opera.
0: I have to admit now. Now this is going to date me and it'll mark me as a boomer. Yes, I am a boomer, and uh, uh, <laughs> that's the way that goes. Uh, yeah. I heard about one bar of the Al Hurt flight of the Bum- uh <laughs> um uh, green hornet theme right and, and I, I was really amused was that deliberate yes <laughs> he just he just
1: based his uh song or piece whatever we might call it on uh, flight of the bumblebee yeah but then he added a bunch of stuff that's just really l hurt stuff
2: yeah that was,
0: was pretty cool to hear that. Uh, now, Jack, did you double tongue that whole thing?
1: Yes, I double tongueed the whole
0: thing. That sounded really, really amazing. I, I uh, now, folks, uh, the listeners may be kind of intrigued. You now, one of the things I mentioned in the setup up front is that this program is about Jack's music and the EV, E-V-I, electronic valve instrument. And um, when you listen to it played with the precision that you played it, Jack um the um it almost sounds like it was sequenced but it wasn't there's a video i saw of you doing this on facebook live uh so it's not sequenced in any way is it
1: uh it, it's actually everything on the album was done in a recording studio
2: yeah yeah
1: so um and my my ambition was to make every single cut as perfect as I was capable of playing it. Yeah. So very few of the cuts on the album are exactly as they would be performed in live performance. Uh, But they are all Jack Kramer on EVI and uh, everything that's played on the album I can play, and I actually have in public played it.
0: Yeah, there. Uh, I've seen videos of you. What, sym- what symphony was that that you were playing uh, with that I saw on YouTube? Um,
1: you know, I have on YouTube, oh, live. That yeah. was with um, Ralph Wilder's Oh yeah. concert band, and that was a piece by Tchaikovsky, yes. uh, which is uh, – a piece that, was, the name of it escapes me right now, actually. My but um, but uh, it's played, that particular piece is often played uh, as a um, ending of a concert by concert violinists. Maybe, yeah. uh, you know, a, a post-regular concert kind of thing. Yeah. Um, to give the audience something extra.
0: Okay, yeah, a little line of cork piece. Um, yeah. t- tell us briefly about the instrument that you're playing. It's an electronic valve instrument, and that's all I'm going to say. You tell me the rest.
1: Okay. Uh, it's called the uh, EVI. Interestingly, the man who invented it, who is a uh, Nile Steiner and a tremendous, unbelievable player of the instrument, Um. Uh also invented a woodwind version using the same basic uh, techniques, and, uh, but for woodwind, for saxophone player or clarinet players. And that one is called the EWI, electronic woodwind instrument. And ironically, though, uh, he's a trumpet player, was a trumpet player. He's still alive, but he doesn't perform live anymore. Yeah. Um, the EWI got a lot more popular than the EVI um so uh he turned over the manufacture and uh production and sales to akai the japanese electronic company
2: yeah yeah
1: akai was the pers- was the company that actually made the uh evis that were first available and the ewis both and uh so the instrument itself um I have no idea how it works.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it requires some real electronic uh, knowledge, which I totally lack. Yeah. Uh, but I can tell you this: it's a instrument. It's an instrument where that has three contacts, which are roughly the equivalent of the three valves on a trumpet. Okay. Which is why. It's called EVI, electronic valve instrument, even though they're not valves. Okay. And then it has three additional contacts that the three original ones or the three basic ones are are like appear to be holes, holes in the instrument. The three additional ones are like spikes sticking out above those three holes.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: And um, the basic three contacts, um, the fingerings are, if you would think of a trumpet starting on low C and going to the F sharp uh, below that, the lowest note, the fingerings are those trumpet fingerings, C open, B second valve, B flat first valve, etc., down to left sharp and uh the left so that's what the right hand does it plays with those three things and then the um left hand adds fifths and octaves with a series of uh, columns and uh and one horizontal bar it's really impossible to explain yeah. accurately unless you can see it uh-huh. but in any case the combination of the three base basic contacts and that canister that holds those bars and that horizontal bar uh, is that that part with the left hand gives you a tremendous amount of range on the instrument okay um, I would say it's pretty Probably equivalent to the range of a piano. Um uh,
2: yeah, it's yeah. huge.
1: So that um a trumpet player like me who's accustomed to sort of the normal trumpet range is immediately granted by playing EVI huge additional range both downward and upward.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it is, it really is amazing to hear you play this because, um, uh, you've, you've completely mastered this thing and I'm most, most certainly impressed. Oh,
1: uh, thank you. Thank oh. you. Practice, <laughs> practice, practice. Just <laughs>
0: like, <that. laughs> yeah. Uh, always the, uh, uh, words of wisdom there. Uh, yeah. Jack, one of the things, that, uh, I mentioned to you, you know, talking to you a minute ago, uh, was that, uh. Uh, one of the purposes of this podcast is, in addition to introducing people to your music and instruments and things of that nature, was to maybe offer some ideas to our younger viewers as to what it's like to make a living in music. And you were, you know, I know you're retired from your jobbing position now. Right. But you were, for many, many, many years, one of the busiest uh, jobbing band leaders in Chicago. Uh, yeah. And uh, you worked with what? Music Incorporated was that the company?
1: In the from 1981 to 1990, exactly ten years, uh-huh. uh, Music Inc was together. That was a, a company. Uh, the partners were uh, Alan Kay, Michael Larrick, and I. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: And and uh, for those ten years, uh, we worked. An incredible number of jobs. The three of us were all band leaders. Yeah, and we all had popular bands, and then yeah. we booked other bands, other groups, other singles, all kinds of, uh, all kinds of uh, musical
0: entertainment. You were the talk of the town. I mean, it was just amazing how much. Uh business and music you guys did Yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, Alan
1: and michael were and are terrific salespeople yeah. me not so much <laughs> <laughs> but uh when they asked me to join them and what had been Alan k orchestras became music inc yeah um i of course got involved in the booking too and uh <laughs> that company was pretty amazing. As a matter of fact, Music Inc. was written up in the mid-80s uh, with a front-page article in Variety, the showbiz really? show uh, magazine or newspaper. And it uh, named us as the largest private party booking company in America.
2: Well,
0: I have no doubt that was true. I mean, you again, as a musician coming up in the Chicago area, um, hearing about music incorporated gigs every weekend was just mind-boggling. It was very cool. Uh,
1: yeah, it was an amazing company. Uh and uh it was a wonderful thing for me to work with those two guys because they uh virtually forced me to make my band a bigger band and to charge more for it. And to do all the things that good business people do. Uh, So it was a great experience working with uh, Michael and Alan and, uh, and keeping the band very busy and knowing that we were bringing music to really literally thousands of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, now the business has changed. Oh boy. I was
0: going to ask you a comment on that.
1: Yeah, I, uh, Music Inc., as it existed in the 80s, couldn't even exist today. Really? Uh, all our business was done by phone. All the picking up of jobs was done okay. by phone. And through the years, through the 90s and into the 2000s and 2010s, all business virtually has been picked up on the Internet. Okay. Um, And so the phone business has basically disappeared. Okay. And uh, there are bands doing very, very well uh, using those uh, methods, but uh, completely different from what Music Inc. did. And uh, music is – the business has changed also in that uh, bands – simply cannot, do not work the same kind of volume of the numbers of jobs that we did. Uh We used to have, my band used to have four or five jobs on weekends very consistently. Yeah, And that, that of course, just can't happen anymore.
0: Uh, yeah. What do you attribute that to? Do, do you think people are just not interested in having music as much or have uh, taste? Yeah, uh, well, for one thing, my band
1: did a zillion bar mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. Okay. And developed a huge business uh, up on the North Shore. Okay. Um, and gradually, DJs, as opposed to bands,
0: okay, yeah,
1: took up all that business. And uh, after Music Inc. broke up, I just continued doing the same business with Jack Kramer music yeah and uh kept it going partly by having, having a um, a branch of Jack Kramer music being a DJ and dancer uh business oh okay which we called upbeat and uh, so that was a case of one thing that's very important for anybody who's in the music business or who's just entering the music business. You have to be adaptable.
0: Yeah, that's a very, very good uh, concept, even introduced there. Uh, things that can be used for younger musicians now uh, yes. with the uh, new uh, landscape.
1: Yes. And uh, another thing that's happened that's completely different from what went on with us. Is that uh, bands have started to use pre recorded tracks yeah, as yeah. the backups to vocalists? So often there are four and five piece bands going out sounding like 10 or 11 piece bands.
2: Yeah,
0: I flavored the fuel. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of bands did that. And other bands uh, actually had big bands. But still use the background tracks pre-recorded for certain uh, songs, where yeah. they wanted to really uh, sound authentic, like as we used to say, sound like the record. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, there one thing is very important, uh, as as we were just saying, uh, being adaptable and trying to be as. Uh, contemporary as possible with new happenings in the music business.
0: Yeah, very interesting. Uh, now, Jack, you're a trumpet player. And, oh, yes. Um, Once uh, you know when you were jobbing as a leader, you're playing trumpet. Uh, did you play the Evie at all on your jobbing dates? A lot. Oh, right. A lot on jobbing dates. When
1: we played weddings. Uh, we usually had two people playing for the wedding ceremony in addition to the band playing for the party. Okay. And for the last, oh gosh, from about 1986 on, I used the EVI as one of the two instruments playing for wedding ceremonies. Oh, what
0: a fascinating idea.
1: And and it was wonderful because it got people looking at the musicians instead of just listening to them because the instrument looks so strange compared <laughs> to anything else that anybody could be playing.
0: Yeah, it is an interesting and, instrument, yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: it, my keyboard player, wonderful keyboard player and singer, Roger Pauly, who played piano on the ceremonies with me uh-huh. in the 90s and into the 2000s, he said, I'm going to have a T-shirt that says it's called an EVI <laughs> because people constantly came up. I mean, on every job.
0: What the heck is that? <laughs> what is that thing? Cause it looks sort of like a bug sprayer. Yeah. it does. Especially with a uh, knob at the end with the rollers on it. That right.
1: Does. Right. Canister at the end. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I eventually started calling it the bug sprayer and I'd say, <laughs> okay, go and play the bug sprayer now. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I also, you know, we did a lot of Jewish parties, Jewish weddings, and barn bat mitzvahs. Yeah, and of course, at each of those parties, we played some Jewish music, especially the hora. Yeah, and related, and I used the Evi, Evi, almost exclusively on all the Jewish music.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So I played it a lot on on jobs and dinner music, because you want to just be. Play quiet music. So uh, I often just did EVI with piano or EVI with guitar to play dinner music. And one characteristic of the EVI is that, and this is also incidentally a thing that interested me very much about it from the time I found out about the instrument, is that playing beautiful slow songs is a new experience as compared to playing trumpet because of the tremendous expressiveness offered by the instrument itself.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, now, I noticed in some of the tracks that you played uh, that there's a vibrato in there. Yes. Was that, are you introducing it with the hand or mouth or is that part of the patch that you
1: use? It's it? the hand. And I'll tell you how it's done. <laughs> It's really brilliant. And Niall Steiner is a brilliant person, That the man who invented the instrument.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, your three fingers are busy playing the, the su- sort of pretend valves up on top. Yeah. But on the bottom, there's a little, what looks like a tiny light switch, which okay. moves back and forth, and you put your thumb on it. Okay. And as you move your thumb back and forth, uh, that gives you the vibrato okay cool and uh you can control the vibrato for speed but just by how fast you move your uh, thumb back and forth and you can also control the vibrato how wide it's going to be by moving it farther in either or both directions
0: amazing this is again it sounds like an amazing tool amazing instrument Yes, I've got more questions for you about the business and about the instrument and about your recordings, but let's listen to some music. I'm going to ask you to introduce it. Um, We're going to play intro and rondo caprici also. Uh, Tell us about that track, please. Okay.
1: That is the longest track on the album. It was written by Camille Sanson and uh, he's a he was a an amazing composer because of the uh, tremendous variety of uh, musical sources that he depended on. Uh, much of this piece, the introduction of Rondo Capriccioso, uh, has a definite Spanish influence. Okay. Uh, and and uh, he wrote other things that were influenced by Cuban music and just all kinds of things. So a really uh, amazing composer. And he wrote this particular piece for violin and orchestra or violin and piano. One of the great things about the EVI is that I can actually play uh, violin pieces as they were written uh, because of the tremendous range of the instrument.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: And uh, so the introduction to Ronda Capriccioso was written for Pablo Sarasate, who uh, was a great violinist and composer in the uh, late 19th century, and I believe early 20th century, and who Sarasate himself wrote another piece that's often played as an encore or sometimes just as a single standalone piece uh, called Sagainerweizen, or Gypsy oh, yeah. Airs, which is also on my album. So, uh, yeah, so this is, uh, starts out, the introduction is a very slow, very melodic, uh, beautiful section. And uh, the uh, Rondo Capricioso is uh, up-tempo with various changes in tempo, changes in style changes in feel as it goes on and ending with a ridiculously fast uh, (laughs) about minute or minute and a half section um which incidentally on the album it sounds real real fast but it's not nearly as fast as the great violin violin violinists uh, played it play it so um uh i tried but i I couldn't get it up there
0: (laughs) well let's listen to it folks intro and rondo capriccioso
2: Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you.
0: Jack, um, back to the business end of things a little bit. Uh, you mentioned tracking. Uh, you know what? You know the, the idea of tracking bands—bands bands playing with uh, pre-recorded tracks. Now, I play with bands that are larger bands that use tracks. Well, I've also played with bands that are seriously cut down, and they're putting musicians on the stage almost just to kind of make it look like there's a band, and most of the music yeah. is tracked. Yeah. Do you think that this is a trend that's going to last, or is it going to? Uh, I'm not sure what to make of it. What do you think? Well, it's a tough one. Uh, certainly, I'm no—I'm
1: not real great at predicting the future, uh, but um, I would say I see no particular reason why it wouldn't last. Okay.
2: Uh,
1: especially because. Um. Modern uh, contemporary pop music depends so much on effects that it's very difficult to produce live that I would say that for the sake of convenience and authenticity, probably I could see it really continuing unfortunately, for all us musicians
0: yeah it's an interesting this idea i'm not sure what to make of it myself but yeah i appreciate your thoughts on it As somebody who came out of a uh an era of of extremely busy work
1: yeah Um, and of course you know i would have to tell all young musicians this was true when i was a kid and it's even truer now have something else you can do to make money and you, Nick, know all about that. you yeah. practiced it for a, a long time, very admirably. Uh, and uh, my teachers told me that back in the 1950s. And it's even more important today because uh, performance opportunities for musicians are diminishing constantly. So, mm-hmm. you- Got to have something to back up your musical talents, even if you're a tremendous, tremendous talent on your instrument.
0: Do you think the internet could be opening up some new um, territory for musicians, a new, um, uh, you know, leveling the playing field, so to speak? Yes, to a certain extent. Okay. The internet will
1: allow musicians to be heard uh, far and wide. Um, much more than they ever could before but and this is unfortunately it's a huge but yeah okay and I'm not talking about the body part uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, we don't make the money yeah we did
2: yeah
1: uh, with all that spread of our music uh, we we don't it used to be that if you could make records and the record sold, you could literally make millions of dollars yeah. in a pretty short time. That's gone. Yeah, it's gone. Yeah, it's interesting.
0: Uh, I, I, um, you know, I have music. I have my original music online, and it's a, it's a, it, it exists on places like Spotify, iTunes, yeah. and things, Apple Music, rather than now, and other <laughs> other places. And I don't make a dime. I mean, uh, you know, the the amount of money that. I... That I get from the sale of my tracks is so yeah. small that it doesn't even yeah. trigger <laughs> doesn't yeah. doesn't I mean, doesn't even trigger an auto payment
1: exactly.
0: So, uh, it's and,
1: uh, yeah. uh, I could just talk about my experience now. Yeah. I started a Facebook page. Yeah. uh, with with the help of a couple of young men who have a rock band who are very uh, internet savvy. Uh, two guys, two wonderful guys who have their own rock band. Anyway, um, I started the page on Facebook and uh, it's the Grandpa
0: Jack (laughs) Facebook page.
1: And um,
0: I laughed over that. Say that one more time, please. (laughs) The Grandpa Jack
1: Facebook page. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, it. um, so we put videos on there videos of the recordings on the album. And then I started doing live recordings here at my house. And I learned how to promote those videos. When I say live recordings here in the house, I'm talking about video and audio, you know, uh, videos. And um, started out doing all EVI, because that was the original concept. Uh, And with the help of those guys, and and, uh, using uh, techniques that you can use on Facebook to spread the videos all over the world, which we have done, uh, I've probably got about a total of probably half a million views on Grandpa Jack by now. That's great. Yeah, it is. It's great. But how much money have I made on them? Zero.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: As a matter of fact, it's cost me money. Of course, to do that kind of promotion on Facebook costs money.
0: Certainly, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: So I'm very gratified by the fact that people all over the world are hearing me. But it, again, nothing financially. No financial reward whatsoever.
0: Yeah, uh, I guess you have to find a way to do a, do more of a life. Um, to, yeah. In, in using the uh, online presence to... um. Uh, supports your live endeavor. Uh, Zach, I'm uh, uh, kind of randomly going through my questions here. Sure. Um, what possessed you to pick up the electronic valve instrument? Okay. Um, in
1: 1985, I got a phone call from a dear friend of mine who was a wonderful composer, and he was doing a whole lot of TV soundtracks right in that time. In the uh, 80s, and actually before that, from the 60s and 70s and 80s, his name is Jim DiPasquale. Oh, yeah. And Jim called me and said, Listen, there's something you got to do. I said, What? (laughs) He said, There's an instrument that I've been using on all the soundtracks that I've been recording. It's played by a man named Niall Steiner, and he calls it the EVI, electronic valve instrument. It's a synthesizer for trumpet players. And he plays on my soundtracks and makes the most beautiful sounds. And actually can replace some instruments in the orchestra with those sounds. So he said, it's just been uh, manufactured and put out by uh, Akai. And I really urge you to play the instrument. Because I think with your technical ability, he said, because Jim knew my playing real well,
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. uh, it would be absolutely perfect for you. So I immediately ordered one um, and got it from a place that they were calling the EVI store in Los Angeles, which (laughs) I eventually visited. But I got it and saw right away how I would be able to play music that I had always loved, particularly violin pieces. Yeah. That I never could play on the trumpet.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, and it it afforded me also the opportunity to play music that I loved, that I had difficulty playing on trumpet because of my uh, flaws or weaknesses as a trumpet player. Hmm. There were several things I could do on trumpet that I did better than most trumpet players and even better than uh, many professional trumpet players. Sight reading, playing by ear, uh, picking up melodies, uh, playing very well in short spurts, which made the recording my preferred method of performance. (laughs) Uh, But I never developed really, really good range and really, really good endurance. And those two things made it impossible for me to be a consistent lead trumpet player. Okay. And another flaw in my playing was that I was never a a studied uh, improvisation talent. Okay. Sometimes I'd rip off a good solo, but uh, if I had to read the changes and play a solo over the changes, I was mm, maybe 50% lost. (laughs) So so the EVI, it became apparent really quickly that those were not issues. I could play an EVI solo forever. There's no endurance issue at all. And range, of course, is no issue at all. As a matter of fact, even the really fine high note players, lead players like you, <laughs> on trumpet, you can't play a double C softly and beautifully and yeah, with a beautiful tough, yeah, yeah. But you can on an EVI. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so, beyond.
1: <laughs> you can go <laughs> way beyond there. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's wonderful in that respect. It's just a wonderful instrument in that respect, particularly. For me, particularly. Yeah. Given sort, sort of my ceiling or my limits as a trumpet player.
0: Now, Jack, uh, you've mentioned a couple of times the CD. Tell me everything about the CD project. Uh, what can I find it uh, to buy it? Uh, how can people go out there and, and purchase your music and support your your endeavors musiclet tell me thank everything you. thank you the best way is to get the cd <laughs> which,
1: which is it's available on all the uh, platforms cd baby um amazon uh etc uh in instagram all the platforms have the cd available uh and nobody's buying cds anymore <laughs>
0: Well, Um, can can you buy the tracks online individually?
1: Yes, you can. Uh, I think they're available on Amazon and Instagram and the others, the names of which I can't think of right now. iTunes. Is iTunes still going? I think it's Apple Music. Apple Music, yeah. It's available on all those. Spotify? Uh, Spotify, yep, yep. Uh, whenever you make a CD through CD Baby, oh, yeah, that does it, they put it on all the platforms.
0: Okay, okay, so CD Baby is the um uh entry place, and then uh, yes, it's available everywhere else as a result.
1: Yes, it is, it is, and okay. uh, interestingly, Nick, that musicians often still prefer CD to all the other. Uh, ways of listening to music.
0: Yeah, yeah. But
1: other than musicians, it's hard to find buyers. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. What's the title of the CD? Jack Kramer plays classical EVI.
0: Jack Kramer plays classical EVI. Right. Well, I think that's just terrific. Uh, let's listen to one more track. Um, yeah. uh, this is... Uh, Horace staccato. Tell me everything about that track before we play it.
1: Okay. Horace staccato is a piece that was written by a Romanian gypsy violinist named Grigoros Diniku. And uh, legend has it, and it's probably some element of truth to it, that Yasha uh, Heifetz was in Romania, probably on a concert tour in the perhaps the early 1930s, and he happened to stop in at a club where Dini Kuh was performing. He was a violinist. And Heifetz was really taken with Dini Kuh's playing. He said, this guy plays as well as any violinist I've ever heard, but he was particularly taken by one of the pieces that that violinist wrote called hora staccato which in many ways is typical of that uh, uh, uh compositions very romanian and gypsy sounding and uh, heifetz took it back to the united states and played it on almost all his concerts usually as an encore and uh it became very popular and then started being played by musicians on every instrument it's a really nice piece to uh, display technical virtuosity and uh, he uh, made it so popular among classical soloists that not only other violinists played it, I mean hundreds of other violinists played it, but trumpet players, clarinetists, flutists, people, all kinds of concert uh, performers started playing Horace Takata, Harry James, Benny Goodman, yeah. <laughs> various arrangements of it. Rafael uh, Mendez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really amazing. So uh, the first time I ever heard Horace Takata, as a matter of fact, it was on a record of Rafael Mendez, the great trumpet concert soloist. Yeah. I think remains my favorite soloist of all time.
0: He was really amazing.
1: Oh, he was an amazing performer. So anyway, I heard it and I said, wow, I love that piece. And it was only later that I became aware of the history of the piece as originally a violin piece. And uh, so I decided to put it on the album because I'd loved the piece since I was a child. And uh, first time I heard it was eh, around 1950 by Mendez. And uh, I just made a sort of a trumpet background arrangement of it.
0: Which, well, I want, let me interrupt for one second. I wanted to ask you, uh, you have some nice orchestral backings on these tracks. Um, how did you achieve that?
1: Uh, on uh, the one you had played, the Rondo Capricioso, and on the aria from the Barber of Seville, which is sung by the, the baritone bass singer in the Barber of Seville, and on the piece that I talked about earlier called Sieg uh, which is a violin piece, uh-huh. we actually have an orchestra playing.
0: Really? That's very cool. Did yeah. you uh, th- 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 do that in the Flight of the Bumblebee, Flight of the Bumblebee as no, well?
1: No, Flight of the Bumblebee is uh, only tr- uh, trumpets and EVI. Really? Okay. Yeah. The background is all trumpets. When I say trumpets, of course, I mean multi-tracking myself. Yeah. And uh, EV, Evi solo.
0: Oh man, that's just terrific! I'm glad I asked yeah. you.
1: I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to remember whether we added bass to it or not. I don't think we did, though. If we did add bass, it would have been bass played by my engineer producer uh bass player on some of the tracks uh, uh dan silberman who is also my son-in-law ah, which terrific. got me wonderful access to a terrific recording studio that he has in Evanston. Um but I, I think it was just trumpets and EVI.
0: Excellent. That's nice to know. Yeah well, and
1: it, uh and uh the horror staccato is um EVI solo. Okay. Trumpets. Uh, uh piano played in that case by Alan Kay. Okay. Uh, my old partner. And bass played by Dan, my son in law.
0: Wow. Uh this is yeah, an amazing, an, an amazing
2: uh, After effort.
1: I wrote it and heard it, it sounded so much more like a Jewish horror than Hora Staccato originally did.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well must give it a listen. Let's okay, listen. Okay, great. Let's listen to "Horace Ricardo" by Denisu. questions that I'd like to finish up our discussions with uh, is uh, always directed at younger musicians. Jack, you've had a, a, a treasure trove of experience as a professional musician in the uh, trenches of the Chicago jobbing scene. Yes. Um, and what advice would you give to a musician getting out of college right now as to what they can do uh, to survive and be a better working musician in the 21st century.
1: I think the best thing to do for other than classical musicians is to, if it's an instrument that you could fit into any kind of performing group, immediately try to either form or join a group. Okay. And if you are a classical musician, start the audition process. Even before you graduate from college, for example. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know you got a tough way to go, but you have to do it. And okay. uh, so you got to do those things and then do whatever kinds of promotion, it would most often be online these days, whatever kinds of promotion you can. To promote your product,
0: don't be shy, <laughs>
1: right? Don't be shy. Talk okay. about how terrific you are, uh, because you are. You've got something that other people don't have because you're you. And um, and don't give up. No matter how hard it is to start, keep plugging and keep practicing and keep rehearsing and you may have to do a whole bunch of freebies but you got to do whatever you can do to get heard can,
0: can you, how would you modify this to um, fit the uh, pandemic age
1: <laughs> oh boy well given what's going on now it would just emphasize more the need of using online methods and techniques to get your music out there.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Because the pandemic age has almost, almost destroyed live performance for now. For now. Yeah. For now. Because there will be a time when it's over. Yes. And for young people, it'll afford them plenty of time to start in on live performance. and of course live performance streaming why not do that too
0: yeah yeah great idea Zach you know the the times are tough right now but this too shall pass
1: this too shall pass exactly one of the things that I hear good solid uh, politicians saying even now is don't ever lose your optimism, and don't ever lose your belief in yourself, and what you can accomplish by yourself and with others.
0: Man, this is just great, great advice, Jack. We've been talking to Jack Kramer of Chicago, Illinois, and uh, introducing his CD. Um, Jack Kramer plays uh, classical music on Evie. And Jack, I can't thank you enough for being here today and uh, helping me get my podcast back up and running. Uh, you're, it's my second show. And, man, Jack, thank you so much for contributing your music, your ideas, and um, uh, your faith in, the, in people.
1: Uh, Nick, it's just a pleasure to be with you. Good luck to you. And uh, I know how much you believe in yourself, and you're going to be back in a flash with flash, the kind that always <laughs> is coming through as you're playing. Well, I appreciate and, uh, you. I, I'm a big admirer.
0: Well, thank you, man. Uh, likewise. Jack Kramer, folks. Jack, thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Jack Kramer for talking with me. I thought this was a brilliant conversation, and I sure hope you did, too. Well, that's it for today's show. Watch for another program in a couple of weeks. I'm going to do more with EV, EVI, Electronic Valvesmith so they are sure to be interesting programs. Also, don't forget to listen to the archive pods. They are all interesting and all informative and educational. Well, that's it. This is your friendly neighborhood studio man, Nick Draws up saying, don't stop the music. Peace.